Hello everybody and welcome back to the Rob Talks podcast and this is episode 32. Now I am super psyched for today's podcast episode because we are having our first ever guest podcast episode. It's awesome. This has been a long time in the making. I've been trying to persuade him for ages but I finally got my brother to come on the Rob Talks podcast and we're going to have a great conversation today all about mental health, mental health in sports, sports psychology, Andrew's journey and really experiences that we've even both shared together throughout our lives and any life advice that we can give to you guys and we can help you and especially the transition that Andrew's going through now which I've been through previously in going to university. It's a whole whirlwind of a podcast episode and I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So first things first, Andrew, how are you? Not too bad, uh, it's pretty sunny so just been sorting out a couple of university things today so it's just a case of getting everything sorted so I've managed to today book um, when I'm arriving and getting settled in so just process going through all the little bits of admin and whatnot. Yeah, it can be, it's been quite a busy day, hasn't it? it? It can be quite busy, especially when you're trying to prepare for university and trying to do all the different things. But first things first on today's podcast episode, Andrew, let the people know who you are. Introduce yourself and let us know who you are, what you do and what you're aiming to do as well at university. Uh, so as Rob mentioned previously, I'm obviously younger brother to him. Uh, so I've just finished college, so I've just finished uh, what's called a Level 3 BTEC, National Extended Diploma in Sports Coaching Development. So I was at college for two years for that, after I finished GCSEs. So now, uh, obviously through UCAS and all that, whatnot, uh, I've now applied for a course in Sports Rehabilitation at University of Hull. So that's all about injury prevention, Fixing those players that get injured, for example, in your football, in your rugby, in your cricket, all areas of sport and uh, helping them come back bigger and better. That sounds really interesting. So with sports rehabilitation and everything, you've always been quite a sporty person, haven't you? Yeah, I'd, I'd say pretty much since I started school, I was always either running around in the playground or doing something, trying to make it a sport or something. That's awesome. And and so sports-wise, at school and kind of growing up, what were your favourite things to do? Because I know that you and me used to go and play pretend uh, football games. You used to pretend it was the World Cup and stuff like that and play football and rugby and cricket. But what are your fond memories in terms of sport and growing up, uh, especially in the countryside and in the middle of nowhere where we live? <laughs> Probably um, one, recreating those matches and then... School-wise, sports-wise, uh, it had been my rugby to start off with. That was where my, my real sort of passion lied at first. Just to be honest, because for me, you felt like you're just some crazy, crazy human running around on a pitch in the rain, sunshine, all sorts, and then running into someone else and taking them to the ground or running half a pitch length to put a ball down in an area. That apparently at that time was called a try. So yeah, it's just getting involved and sort of getting stuck in. Yeah, and 
I still remember those days of playing rugby at school and it, it was quite crazy, wasn't it? Especially at a place where we used to train called Castle Dyke. The weather would change really quite crazily, wouldn't it? Like, if, if, did you ever play there when it was like hailing or snowing? Yeah, definitely had one or two matches where I did not feel like running around. Yeah. <laughs> where it's just absolutely hailing down or it was lashing down with rain. It's like, do I really want to be here right now? Yeah, I'd yeah. much I'd much rather be in the in the nice changing rooms where it's nice and warm. Yeah, um, t entirely makes sense. I used to always go towards we would have hand dryers inside the changing rooms, and you usually try and sit nearby to try and warm yourself back up. But yeah, those days of playing rugby were always fond. But in terms of growing up and going through school, Andrew, what would you say? are the things or the moments or experiences that you had that you feel like have shaped you into the person that you are today? Going from even when you were younger in like primary school and younger age, all the way through to where you are now transitioning from college into university. I, th I think from a young age, it would have been the fact of actually starting doing some form of sport so early. You pre as soon as you're out of nursery, and you're into year one, year two, straight away you were doing some for, some sort of sport, whether it was PE or if you're going for swimming lessons. And then that's just progressed up through the uh, the different levels of education. And obviously as you get to the higher end of um, education towards university, your college, your sixth form and your GCSEs, you find those subjects or those find those bits of subjects that you find really quite interesting so for example within when i got into year nine and it came looking at options to take for gcse pe without a doubt was my first one of my first options i knew straight away that i wanted to do something within the sports industry mainly because it's it can be an either a very easy road or it can be a long old slog to shape someone back into the best condition that they want to be in. And you actually learn so much more in-depth stuff about the body, which then in turn also helps you down uh, at GCSE level in your biology. You, you know that slightly extended answer for that that one question on the paper that not everyone might have, which then can get you those extra marks and bump you up that grade boundary. So I'd, I'd say it's, it's an interesting one. I've, just starting sport early was the main thing I'd say. Yeah, and I think even seeing as your brother that you've always had a big passion for sport, and it'd be really good if you could expand further on the kind of sports experiences that you've had in terms of, you remember the days where we were trying to be like world-renowned athletes and we were wanting to go to the Olympics and you've done a wide range of sports, haven't you? You've done all sorts of like climbing and sailing and archery and how far we got with that and even looking into the idea of being a, a jockey and horse racing. What are the most fruitful experiences that you've had and what really have you learned from those experiences? I think probably starting off with my climbing I was lucky enough that I sort of got a passion for my dad 
and then started seeing my brother doing it. So then I wanted to get involved. So I was able to take that up to GCSE PE level that helped me um, help me get the grade that I did in GCSE PE. Then rugby wise, seeing Robert run around on a field 500 metres away from me really sort of start with the spark and was like, you know what, I could get pretty good at this. Same with sort of with my height as well, with my low centre of gravity, it means I'm quite quick on the field. Cricket, I've had the opportunity of doing all sorts. So I've been to national levels at under 15 uh, with one of my cricket clubs. I then also had the luxury of playing men's cricket, both league and sort of friendly wise. So constantly improving, constantly um, striving for sort of excellence and whatnot within that area. And then archery, like Robert said, looking at becoming Olympian. So just from trying it at uh, Chatsworth Country Fair, probably 2015, got the spark, found the local archery club, put in the hard work on the taster course, and then just kept shooting arrows on and on and there, taking every opportunity that came our way. So county for Derbyshire, trials, Derbyshire hot shots as it was back then, where they're constantly trying to improve your technique, make you more athlete style. And then moving on to having the opportunity of going to Lillyshaw to then partake in uh, a talent programme selection, which we I think we probably made about six months uh, through that until unfortunately it just became the demand becomes so high for where we were living and where the club was. It just unfortunately was uh, unrealistic to um, to take that on. And then to jockey and horse riding, uh, the opportunity with connections in the industry of going on race yards. So Richard Farhay's race yard, I got the opportunity to go around and see what a day's life is like in there. And then the opportunity to go look around the Northern Racing College in Derby and even partake in the application process of potentially going down one of their young jockey courses for eight weeks and then it culminating in a race on an actual race course. That was uh, something I was very lucky at. So yeah, I've, I've sort of had a lot of opportunities uh, within the sports area, uh, within all sorts of different sports that I've played. And I think I've probably dipped my feet into so many different sports because it's just sort of how my brain is built psych psychologically I, uh, from studying college and whatnot. I know that I'm a very, what's called a personality type A kind of person. I'm very, very competitive. I very rarely let things go and uh, I'm always striving to try and be the best and achieve the most um, within that area. So I'd say that's probably why I've always sort of chased the opportunities that I've been given. So yeah, that's really interesting to hear, especially about your personality type. I haven't actually uh, looked into that enough recently. I, I'm guessing it was a Myers-Briggs test or something like that. Yes, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was something down those lines. We did lots of tests to do with 
figuring out your personality type, sort of how your brain is built psychologically, and then looking at the different sports uh, psychology theories that try and predict how the, the human brain works within the sports industry and how stuff like performance and arousal are linked and all, all that sort of kind of things. Wow, that's really interesting. And just more of a personal question to yourself. So with your personality type, you mentioned how you feel as though that you are quite a competitive person and you're not always good at letting stuff go. Do you ever find that that goes that happens both within sport when you're having to perform but also does it happen within other areas of your life and ever affect you in other areas yeah i'd, I'd say i say it does definitely very very prominent within my sport because uh i definitely when i'm down in the dumps bit within my sport and we're sort of on the back foot of it i'm very i'm, I'm probably that person in the team that you can you can always hear me yeah, I'm. I'm always trying to encourage the team. I've always got. Uh, it's like someone's sort of lit a fire inside of me, and it's almost like someone's annoyed me in a way. But in fact, that's just my competitiveness coming through. Someone's lit a fire in the bottom of me, and I'm really trying to bring that fire up and through and push it throughout the team. And I'd say that's how it's always been within my sport. And then. Within general day-to-day -day life, it's the same. There's stuff that I know how I can do really, really well at them. And then I have other people that try and do them. And it's like, if you do it this way, you'll do it better. Or I try and sort of compete to be the best uh, at that job that's uh, been assigned to me. Okay, that's interesting. And so do you ever find that that becomes unhealthy because I can kind of see in a way of how that if you're sometimes maybe too overly competitive, then that means you can also be too emotional. And so that means that you can react in maybe ways that people don't like in certain situations. Does it ever feel as though sometimes it crosses the line, even within sport or even outside of sport? And I'm guessing it's something that you're forever just trying to work upon and trying to find within yourself of how to find coping mechanisms for stuff like that. Yeah, it definitely can go too far. But honestly, you can, like you said, you can try and find coping mechanisms, but some within certain uh, situations, you're not going to find a coping method for it. You, you've got to let that competitiveness get out. And honestly, sometimes, especially in the sport, it will actually help if you get that competitiveness out because say you're even if it's recreational or you're looking at it from an athlete point of view you're you know you're trying to become better you're trying to improve you're constantly making changes that improve your performance mean that you recover better you're then better prepared for the next event you're then better prepared for the whole season whether it's pre-season in-season or post-season there is always something you can be doing to better yourself technically psychologically physically and mentally as well yeah that entirely makes sense and it's really interesting to hear even from your perspective because i know you've learned so much at college that is focusing upon the mind of an athlete and everything that comes with that and and so i'm really interested in terms of sport and sports rehabilitation and going forward in your career 
why is it that you want to do that specifically what out of that is the area where your love lies for it where your passion lies for it what is bringing you that happiness and fulfillment that makes you want to do sports rehabilitation for the future and potentially could help others who are listening in terms of trying to work out what their purpose or meaning could be within that area of sports and rehabilitation and helping others um first of all i'd say it's down to the love of to be quite honestly very simply just talking to people in a general normal conversation uh, for example i could explain how how your spine's made up of in a really technical way but then i can also go well this is actually this part on a lot simpler and more humanized level for someone who's not necessarily all i'd say all that interested in knowing what it is specifically and then you've got the side of it where you depending on what area of the industry you go in whether it's into privatized nhs military or in sports clubs you've got that personal connection with each of your athletes and each of your patients of where you're taking them from rock bottom low out for the season potentially out for six to eight months and you have that sort of split second decision choice of i can either leave them not take them on and they can be left to take this whole long journey or i can come in help them and maybe turn that eight month recovery into a five six month recovery because you're helping them become better and get into the routine quicker which means that recovery is able to happen faster and you have a more likely chance of improving their injury better and strength and potentially put pushing it past the point of where it was last time so where it failed last time you potentially have the opportunity to push it beyond that and make it stronger and make and like i said before make them come back stronger and perform better than they were before so i'd probably say that's where where the passion lies for me Okay, so in terms of fulfillment that you get from that and where that passion lies in rehabilitation, would you say that that's kind of a combination of wanting to be able to educate others in terms of how the body works and how different areas of your body work for certain exercises, for certain sports? And is it also this element of that you want to just be able to help people and help athletes to be able to recover so they can get back to where they were because it's quite a detrimental thing isn't it being injured it can be quite a detrimental thing in terms of your physical body but also psychologically isn't it yeah definitely so if, if i was to give you the example that i used within college we had a unit which was creating your own business so straight away we are having to think about titles what the actual mission of your business is and all that stuff and straight away if you looked at the title that I made for my business, it explained exactly what Rob's said there. So the title of my business was Movement, Movement Motivation, Education, MME. So I'm getting people back moving. I'm keeping them motivated to overcome their injury and get back to playing the sport they love. And then I'm also educating. So the idea of it was 
I help people get back from injury, but then also say two, three, de- two, three years down the line of the company, I have my own basic sports rehabilitation course that I can teach either online or in person to people who I wanted to get a taste of it, mainly for the junior clubs uh, that are within the UK, because a lot of junior clubs don't have that opportunity. They literally just have parents on the sideline who are first aid trained for the club, whereas it's they can't always do what I'd classes the right thing for them at that time you're better to have someone who's in the sports rehab area if you can do who can start that recovery and f- protect that injury for the time being if they are still able to play or protect the injury till they can come to your say your clinic and start getting fixed up i think that's really interesting especially how you're able to summarise your kind of passion for this area just within that acronym that you created for your business. That's amazing. I think that really more people should be able to do that in terms of what you love or what you wanted to do, being able to summarise it just like that. It's really interesting. One last thing in terms of what you have learned from your life experience, but also within college, is what is this relation in terms of sport and psychology? I'm sure many people would be interested to hear if you have any anecdotes, stories, in terms of how does sport performance relate to what's going on in your mind and what's going on in your brain at the time? So, like, sort of going back to the relationship between performance and arousal there is three of these sports psychology says there's three different ways the first way is the drive theory so that is saying if you were to draw a graph with a y and an x-axis one lane labeled performance one labeled arousal if you went from the bottom corner of x and y and you draw a straight line on a diagonal that's saying what the drive theory is So the drive theory says that the relationship between performance and arousal never changes. It will always stay the same. So as performance goes up, the arousal will go up at an equal rate. But then, so within sports psychology, most sports psychologists bin that one off straight away because in true life, it isn't a true representation. It's it's absolutely an unimaginable representation of what performance and arousal is because arousal and performance is constantly changing. You then have catastrophe theory and you have the inverted U. So second comes along inverted U. So you have your graph again with your X and your Y axis with performance and arousal on. And this goes in, like it says, an inverted U. So instead of doing that way, it goes that way. So it says your arousal and your performance go up at semi-steady levels but they're constantly fluctuating but then eventually it will reach a tipping point which we would class as optimum performance and then it will slowly progressively start decreasing so it's it's it gets slightly more closer to what we would class as the proper what you could call the proper um relationship between performance and arousal you then get the very final one which is catastrophe theory, which if you were to look at many, many sporting events, so the Masters Golf um, is a very good representation, stuff like the Football Euros, you've got the Rugby World Cup, 
stuff like that. The catastrophe theory is very similar to the inverted U. So it starts going up steady, you reach that optimum point. It starts going down slowly. But then you get factors in such as negative thoughts. So that could be because you misplayed a shot playing golf, you've dropped a shot, so negative thoughts start coming in. You then try and constantly overcome that and fight it, and that starts bringing self-doubt into it, so you now don't have the confidence. And then eventually, catastrophe theory says that you will rapidly plummet to the bottom, in the bottom right-hand corner of the graph, and you have ultimately failed. So the best example that my teacher used would be Rory McIlroy, I think it's in the 2014 Opens Masters. Day two and three, one, two and three, he dropped, he got to something like eight under par. He comes into the final day and everything just goes out the window. He somehow loses the whole competition just in one day because of his psycho psychological mental state at that point. He made one or two mistakes at one point in the final day. The negative thoughts started coming in. The sort of motivation went from him. He started thinking that he wasn't good enough and eventually he dropped about four shots and dropped from first place to whatever place he ended up being in that competition all because of how his psychology and mental state was because in ultimate psychologically he was at the point of needing to avoid failure so that's what happened on day three he was needing to avoid failure because he knew failure wasn't necessarily an option at the point he was at. He was in first, he was well ahead. So it was a case of trying to avoid failure and because of that, him trying to avoid failure too much and the relationship between performance and arousal, it all ultimately ended in failure in the end. So it's, really interesting. it's a definitely a... It, psychologically, there is a lot involved uh, within sport, but not a lot of people really sort of notice it. Yeah, it, it always seems something that is a bit hidden away and you kind of just think, oh, they're having an off day or it's just not working out for them. And and just to define it clearly, so what do you mean by arousal? What does that mean within sport? So arousal within sport is whether you are... So... Uh, under aroused would be the point of you're very sat down, you're mopey, you're, you're there at the game, you're just like, I don't really want to play. Okay, so is it related in terms of mood and emotion? Yeah, okay. and emotion. So the optimum arousal would be is like, yeah, I feel, I feel pretty good, you're pretty sort of settled. And then obviously you have the point of over aroused where your performance starts decreasing because, say, for example, you emotions have come out, you're angry, you're upset, you're swearing, you're shouting, stuff like that, is what we would class as over-aroused. Okay, that makes sense. And 
something that I want to get into because Rob Talks is all about focusing upon how you can help people with their mental health, their mental well-being and life advice and just being able to help people as much as possible. So where do you see the relationship between mental health and sport being today? Because it feels as though that the athletes that we see within the sports that we even love with cricket and rugby and football and so many other sports as well, that there is so much pressure on them to perform that it feels as though there's no opportunity for them to be vulnerable. There's no opportunity for them to struggle with their mental health. They just have to get on with it. And kind of as a follow-up question with that, have you ever struggled with your mental health because of sport and because of the pressures that can come with it? I think, first of all, to answer your first part of the question, athletes-wise, the relationship between mental health and looking after them, many, many years ago, it, it definitely wasn't there. It's slowly but surely coming out. The first biggest example would be when England won the Rugby World Cup. Half that team cannot remember what actually happened on that day because they'd actually, in previous games and throughout their rugby career, faced so much concussions that they didn't know about that they basically, without them knowing, got ruined. So they now don't have that happy memory of we won the World Cup. That's insane. So so that's a link, really, between possibly because their mental health may have been affected, that they then affected themselves physically because they were having to push themselves so far that they were getting concussion. And they that's never knew. Yeah, they were getting it that severely and people weren't... For example, in nowadays, nowadays sport, if they get hit hard in the head, they obviously have to go off for a concussion test. That never happened in those days. Hence why they never knew. They just might have had a bit of a headache. But they'd have gone, oh, it's, it's nothing. Yeah, sport really has come quite far but, yeah, in terms of the conversation. Luckily, it's starting to progress better and more athletes are starting to put probably their mental health a bit more forward in their life another another youtube video i watched probably i don't know a year ago would be why um niall wilson the gymnast left his gymnastics career because he didn't look after his mental health he didn't have he wanted to push his social media so hard but also push his olympic career as well he really actually did end up struggling with his mental health and a lot of people didn't necessarily see that his coaches luckily were very very good at helping him with that so it's now developed obviously to where the point is he obviously retired from his uh, olympic sport and he's now obviously prioritizing his mental health and all that sort of stuff yeah so it seems that annoyingly there still is this link between the fact of that with sports if you are going to push yourself to the point of trying to become world champion or olympian it may have costs along the way it may have costs that could 
be detrimental for your mental health. It, but it's really interesting. I'd never heard that story about the 2003 Rugby World Cup in particular. But with your own experiences, even at school level or even as I know the kind of journey we went on with archery and everything like that. Did you ever feel as though you struggled with your mental health within sport or even I can open up the question to have you ever struggled with mental health in your own life? Um, I think the way to answer it would be most most people will answer it no because they're stubborn and that's just how men are perceived we are meant to be stubborn we're not meant to become this big soppy doppy puppy we but luckily it's now slowly but surely opening up so potentially yes there, there is the potential that I did at points probably push myself too hard and be like why is why is stuff not working for me why is this happening mainly because I wasn't educated probably on it very, very well. I'd, I'd say not a lot of people are educated on it very, very well. I think people from a young age need to be better educated on it. it it's 2022, nearly 2023, and people who are 50, 60 are only just realising uh, we need to bring our mental health to the front of our four minds and actually look after that before we always necessarily pursue a passion. So yeah, I'd probably say at points, probably has been points where I've probably most likely felt, just felt like I was down in the way I performed. Because I, I know for me personally as a sports performer and with studying something like sports coaching I do a hell a hell of a lot of analysis of my performances I yeah I don't necessarily film them but I replay the events in my head and go if I'd done that better this this would have changed this and how can I improve this so I think it's a case of not always over analysing our sports performances, but sort of doing stuff to put your mental health slightly more forward than it is today. I'd probably say it's, it's not pushed, it wasn't pushed as hard as it was before, but it is slowly but surely getting pushed more and more, which is a good thing. Yeah. yeah, People are becoming slowly but surely more and more aware about the need to prioritize our mental health and our mental well-being. And I think that's really important, especially in the world of sport and everything. But do you know, do you remember of any stories or any anecdotes of where there were those times that you felt down or maybe you felt anxious and that can be within sport, can also be within general life, or where there are times of where you feel as though you were down, but you found a way to get through it or to overcome it. Or have you ever even felt, it's hard sometimes to put words to it, but ever have you felt depressed or anxious? I'd probably, uh, 
not necessarily within sport, but just because of where we live, we obviously have the opportunity to uh, do lots of walking or cycling and stuff like that. So I, I'd probably say I developed my own coping mechanism for it. Not necessarily if it was linked to sport, or just every general day life. I'm one, I'm one of those people, if I went on a walk by myself, and I go out into the middle of nowhere, I, I'd probably sound like quite a crazy person if you were to walk up on me, because I'm just walking along, chatting scenarios through my head, chatting about all sorts. You probably think there's someone stood next to me, but in fact, I'm, I'm just sort of chatting with my brain. I'm going, ah, this would be quite cool if this happened. Or, I'd love it if in so many years I was running my own business, had a nice, wonderful house in the countryside, could do this every day, stuff like that. I think that's probably, probably one of my main coping mechanisms for it. And then, sort of more towards the sports side, I'd, def I'd definitely say there's probably points where I wouldn't be happy with my performance and a lot of that it would it would be taken out in anger it would be or just say for example sitting in the car journey in silence on the way back just replaying the events going how could have they improved or in fact even chatting with Rob about how the game's gone, how could we have improved individually? What could we have done that maybe would make our had made our performance slightly better? Yeah, that entirely makes sense. And it, it's okay for you to say that it kind of feels as though it's crazy, like talking to yourself. So many people actually do it. And so many people actually do it as a way to have self-awareness and to be able to reflect and go through things. And Because sometimes you don't want it to all just be stuck up in your head. You want to actually be able to let it out. And it sometimes feels as though the way I describe it for my own life is it's a bit like sometimes you feel emotions or you feel all these things that are going on in your life into like a pop bottle. And the more that you just let them shake up, it's just going to make so much pressure that you eventually have to let it out. So I think you really are doing great coping mechanisms and that's something that everybody can do. It's really easy to just be able to go on a walk. Even we're very lucky to live in the countryside, but you can do that wherever you are. You can go on a walk and you can be able to just get outside to breathe, to process things. Or even if you can't get outside, you can just take time in your room to just go through things and see how you feel and how you're going to get through to the other side. But it's really interesting to hear that, Andrew. And I think just as we're kind of wrapping up today's episode, I have to say you've been an absolutely fantastic first guest. I really appreciate you coming on. And what I would want to just kind of clarify is that going forward with your life, as you are now transitioning forward to university, what are you looking forward to the most? What's the thing that maybe in the next three to five years that you're looking forward to the most and you're wanting to focus upon the most in your own personal growth and development as a Andrew McKinna human being, amazing individual. <laughs> I think, so it links back to my sport. Being a very, very driven person, the, fir the first priority for me would be is learning as much knowledge as I can, learning as much as I can within the sports rehab industry, having 
and having those um, sort of links with people in the industry. So I've got little people at disposal. If I've got a question about something, I can go to them, I can ask them about it, I can pick their brain. And potentially, although I don't, I hated the research project I had to do for college, potentially go on to do a master's and research an area if I found something really, really interesting to research within sports rehab. Why does this cause this to make this injury? Why do we do this to help fix this injury? Is, there, is it the right way to fix this injury? Is there a better and new improved way to fix this injury? Or the other option is, is to then pursue one of the many career routes you can do within sports rehab. Either go into the NHS, go privatised with my own company, sell my own company, go into the military, help people who have been in the military, current serving people, go explore the world a bit for a couple of years within the military, or even go into sports clubs, go experience those big sports events, World Cup, international trials, Olympics potentially, Commonwealth Games, Paralympics, there's all sorts of routes you can take with it, but it's, it's mainly for me, it's pushing myself as hard as I can go, taking those breaks when needed, and just trying to learn as much information as possible about the sports rehab industry, so I'm best prepared for when I do graduate and make my decision on where I want to go for the future. Yeah, that's really interesting, and it's always good to think about the future, and there's something you're going to be the first person to have to do this, but I'm going to set a tradition on this podcast that for any guests that we get on, these are going to be the last questions that I focus upon. And my first question of the two is this. So if you were a chef and you were having to make this recipe of happiness, of what makes you happy in your life, what would you say are the key ingredients, the key things that make you, Andrew McKinnon, happy in your life? Be very much now in the present and going forward within your journey of life. What makes you happy? And it can be whatever you want it to be. I would say currently I'd say my car because not many many 17, 18 year olds have the opportunity to have been able to purchase their own car, run their own car all by themselves, maintenance and whatnot. Um That's true. I still need to learn how to drive. <laughs> I would then say my studies uh, my next second sort of priority um, and then my social life friends, family people I meet at university because all in all I'm, I'm not a massive massive social person I'm not one of those people who wants to go out every night clubbing I'd rather sit at home, watch a documentary or YouTube video into the area of sports or sports rehabilitation, something like that, and 
sort of learn new information and see see what the limits are because I'd, I'd say to be perfectly honest within sports rehab there's not necessarily limits you, you can go as far as you want it's like with self-development you you push as hard as you push yourself is as far as you will go if you don't push yourself hard you won't go anywhere so for example buy my car as soon as I got finished my GCSE year got a job spent the hours working there saving budgeting not spending money getting paying for my own driving lessons paying for my theory test paying for my driving test and just getting deep and grinding out and pushing yourself along I wouldn't have got to the stage where I'm at if I sat at my desk watched YouTube all day and did nothing I may have days where I do sit at my desk and do not much I may watch YouTube for the most day but I will still do little things little little small achievements and goals set daily goals set a daily goal that will push you closer to getting to the final goal going to university on the 17th of September book my accommodation slot wait for the enrolment book, do my enrolment make sure I've got all the documents ready make sure I've got all my stuff that I need for my accommodation make them little goals and it will hopefully lead you straight towards the big goal that's really interesting and really great to hear and you're so right with being able to knock over those little items, those little things. They can sometimes be the most annoying things of like sending an email or having to sort out some form of admin. And so to get them knocked out of the way, that is what is needed. And that is what's needed sometimes on those days, as you say, where you just want to watch YouTube. You just want to relax a little bit and that's entirely fine. And I really appreciate your vulnerability in this podcast episode. I really appreciate it massively. So I'm just going to have one more question that is probably going to be feeling as though it is quite vulnerable, but we'll see how it goes. I want to know, Andrew, right here, right now, today, are you happy? First of all, I'd, I'd say it's it's a broad question. You can take it whatever direction you want. You can be guarded off. I can deflect his question. I can go, I'm fine not answering that, but then you sort of just have to take that leap of faith sometimes. And I'd, honestly, I'd say I'm me- mediocre. You feel content? I'm happy with where I am at moment but you wouldn't necessarily use the word happy content is probably the right word I'm excited for what's to come what the future is but there are those little what you could call demons in the back of your head going what if this happens what if that happens what happens if this goes wrong what happens if I woke up the next day and someone wasn't here what happens then so the question of are you happy is a very broad question 
but if you to focus down in on it I'd say content is the word for me today I'd say I'm happy with where I am at the moment but I constantly know that I can push myself I can go further I can do stuff to make me happier so yeah that makes entirely entirely makes sense and I really appreciate your vulnerability on that because as you say so many people would deflect the question so many people would be like yes yeah I'm happy I'm fine what's to worry about so I really appreciate your honest answer and I'm sure that there are so many people who will be watching and listening who can relate to that answer and can relate to how you're feeling right now and that is okay and that's what we have to understand especially as men with our mental health and everything that that's okay and so I just want to thank you, Andrew, so much for your vulnerability, for your insights, especially within sports psychology. I cannot wait to hear more anecdotes from yourself and more stories as you come home from Hull and from university and being able to tell me even more about how the mind works in sports. I'm always interested and I'm sure so many people have been interested with today's podcast. As I always say, you have been listening to the Rob Talks podcast. Thank you so much, Andrew, and thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And I will see you next week on the next Rob Talks video. You have just been listening to the Rob Talks podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And please make sure to subscribe and give me a follow on YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, or even LinkedIn. And I will speak with you soon. Stay safe and have a great week.